Hey, this is Ellen. You're listening to the Juice Media Podcast, a companion to the Honest Government ad series, authorised by the Department of Genuine Satire. Hey everyone, Giordano here and Ellen. I am joined today on the podcast by one of our awesome actors, Ellen Burbage, and also by Kristen uh, from the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses, who I'll be interviewing in the second half of this podcast. But first, we're going to chat with Ellen about our recent Honest Government ad, which is about the Melbourne Cup, or as Ellen refers to it, the Melbourne Fuck Up. Thank you, Ellen, for contributing that comedy goal to this episode. Here's a snippet from the video. Hello, I'm from the Victorian Government. Are you ready for the Melbourne Cup? Hear that sound? It's coming. No, that's not racehorses. That's the sound of Tarakash wearing Moscato sculling f***ers heading to the Flemington Racecourse where they'll get maggot I'm drunk, I'm maggot. and cheer as these sentient creatures are forced to run at lung-breaking speed before leaving the joint looking like this. This isn't a bad dream. This is the Melbourne fuck-up. The day when Melbourne regresses by two millennia to the age of the Colosseum as horses are whipped have their tongues tied, bleed from their nostrils and in the lungs, snap their fucking legs and get euthanized on the track. All for the amusement of semi-evolved primates. Bronze Age Entertainment. So this isn't the typical issue that we cover in the Honest Government ad series, but we wanted to make an exception to our ongoing coverage of the shitfuckery coming out of the federal government in order to shine a light on a local issue, which, however, is also a global one, uh, and that is the horse racing industry. Here in Melbourne, we have a tradition known as the Melbourne Cup, world-famous horse race uh, that attracts people from around the world. It's a day of merriment and fashion and uh, jolliness and it's also a public holiday in the state of Victoria but there's a darker side to all the bling and shininess and happiness and that is the reality of the horse racing industry which was recently revealed publicly by a uh, shocking ABC report which came out detailing the industrial scale at which former racehorses or unwanted racehorses that don't make the cut are slaughtered as a byproduct of this using the scarred mentality of the racing industry. So we really wanted to help raise awareness about the reality of the horse racing industry by shining a light on the Melbourne Cup, which is a day on which society celebrates this industry, uh, I think unwittingly, without really knowing what's actually going on behind the scenes. So many people just simply do not know. So (laughs) in the tradition of the Juice Media, we decided to ruin another public holiday. We started off with Australia Day earlier this year. Um, in order to help people to question and ask themselves whether this is really something that they want to be supporting. And I'm really glad to be able to welcome onto the podcast to talk a little bit about this, um, Ellen, our actor who hosted this um, particular Honest Government ad, but is also a regular actor in, in the series along with Zoe. Hey, Ellen. Hey, George. <laughs> so as well as being an actor, dancer, and amazing singer, Alan is also a warrior, activist, vegan, zero waste lifestyle person who tries to do as little bad shit as possible on the planet. Also passionate about animal rights and, well, just generally non-human creatures, including racehorses, which is why I thought it'd be great to get her to speak a little <laughs> bit about what this episode means to her. Okay, so, okay, first of all... When whenever I get these scripts, I the first read is always, wow, this is really shocking. I want to learn more. Um, and then we get on set and it's really fun. And <laughs> we actually have like a really fun, silly time. Um, and it's not until after I'm uh, I'm processing it after and posting it and engaging with people and really thinking about it that I get that that deeper shock feeling again. 
of what we're actually dealing with here. And I just think it's so cool that you have addressed this issue, which I feel like is such a, it's so scary for people to to talk about animal cruelty, you know, Um, for some reason. Like I experienced that being vegan. I've been vegan for 10 years and it's, I'm scared to talk about it. So it's cool when other people who aren't vegan (laughs) are actually interested in these issues and want to talk about them. Why do you say it's scary? Is it because you also have a, um, you've got a personal connection to horses and people involved in the horse racing industry? So I grew up with horses and on a personal level, it, it scares me that there are people that I know who are in my life who are engaging with the Melbourne Cup, who engage in horse racing. And when you question someone's actions, it feels really personal. It feels like you're questioning their integrity just as a human being but these issues are just about so much more than who we are it's outside of us and and we need to be thinking about the animals and you know the other people involved who are getting affected who are affected by gambling and alcohol abuse I can't believe that I mean it makes sense but violence against women increases drastically on cup day that's insane and we should be looking at that so, yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's, it feels like a really personal topic, but it shouldn't be. It should be about the animals and, and and people who are affected by these awful social issues. Now, you've just said it shouldn't be a personal topic, but ironically, I just wanted to take just one moment to point out one of the things that I really admire um, about you as a person is that, you know, you've you've embraced this lifestyle, but um, the way that you you live your life um, encourages other people to want to do it as well, simply because you lead by positive example. And that's such a powerful way of inspiring others to uh, to change their ways. It's definitely affected you know, us here at home with me and Lucy. Um, we're definitely much more conscious of these things because of knowing you. So uh, it's really amazing to see people uh, walking the talk. Thanks, George. I, that, that means so much to me. And actually, like, <laughs> I've had a few experiences recently where I've um, – I've had that reflected to me and it's just been such a beautiful thing to hear. I, 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 and it's because I love it. I actually just love my lifestyle. I love filling up my jars. It feels so wholesome. I love knowing where the food comes from. I think by being excited and enthusiastic about this lifestyle that I live is uh, a really welcoming and inviting um, thing for people. And and I think when people see that, like, it's a positive energy to be around and it's, yeah, it's it's not so frightening to be curious about that world or something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you definitely make it look a lot easier than people think it is. Um, and hopefully we're going to talk more about this because it's such an important topic. So hopefully on future podcasts, we can get into more depth into, you know, how people can practice a zero waste lifestyle and uh, and do other things to uh, minimize the impact that we have on an individual level, as well as taking collective action to change government policy, which is what we usually talk about on the series. But I want to steer us back towards the topic of the video and the racing industry. And I just wanted to ask you one more question, Ellen, because um, I think this is really interesting. I know it's a sensitive topic, but um, you know, you've mentioned that you have family in the industry and um, I think this is of interest to a lot of people who, you know, how does the personal and the family clash sometimes when you try to speak on issues that matter to you? Um, mm. Yeah, so I think my passion for the issues probably clouded um, 
my ability to see how it could be potentially quite hurtful to the people who really love the industry. Um, it's, it's really, it's conflicting, <laughs> but I, I, I think ultimately I fucking love my family and I know they fucking love me <laughs> and we can put aside our politics to have good relationships with each other and they know that the videos that we make are cheeky and they're meant to be a little bit radical, otherwise they're not going to be shared and the issues aren't going to be talked about. So it was really important to me to, um, to make the video and certainly don't mean any harm. <laughs> I just want these issues to be talked about. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. Like I've had conversations with my family about it and um, although it could be, yeah, it could be an easier thing to deal with, um, it's just really, it stuns me how much love just paves the way. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's amazing. Like we're all just happy that um, there's space to have a conversation. Yeah, we're all, we're all really pleased that there's space to have a conversation. I think ultimately um, that's what Juice Media is about. It's about creating it's about creating space to have conversation. <laughs> That's it. And I think a lot of people listening will relate because, you know, whether it's the racing industry or refugee issues or which party you vote for, um, people in families disagree about things and that's kind of it's kind of natural. It's probably a good thing. It's a good sign that, you know, we have that families don't sort of all think alike. God, can you imagine? And, yeah, when these things are brought up at the family dinner table, it creates conflict and division. But what's the alternative? The alternative is just not talking about these things and that's not good either. So there's no easy answer. Um, but I'll always remember what uh, Gary Foley said. He said, you know, um, try and convince your own friends and the people around you, your own family of these issues. Um, Cause that's, you know, that's where we can really have an impact is talking to the people closest to us. So, you know, shout out to everyone who, who does that, who does take the trouble to, to discuss these things within the family and uh, shout out to Ellen who went and hosted a whole video um, talking exposing the shit fuckery of the racing industry that's um, you know that takes a lot of guts so thank you you could have taken the easy option out and said no I'll pass on this one but instead you hosted it and did a brilliant job and uh, I think everyone listening will agree what an amazing actor you are and um, you and Zoe we've got such brilliant actors to help bring um, our scripts to life so Thank you. And I also hope we'll have you back on the podcast sometime soon. Thanks, Joy. Thank you for making this. Thank you for shedding the light on such a, an important topic. <laughs> We've just been speaking with Ellen Burbage, one of our actors on the Honest Government ads. Next up, I'm going to be speaking with Kristen from the Coalition for the Protection of Racehorses. And we're going to get into more detail about the dirty side of the racing industry. So this is going to be very interesting for anyone who wants to learn more about some of the issues that we just touched on in the Honest Government ad. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Giordano. How are you going? Good. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Um, so we're approaching that time of the year now where I imagine you get you get really busy, um, and that's uh, Cup Day, Melbourne Cup. So yeah. can you tell us a little bit about what are the things that you would like more people to know about? You know, a lot of people don't know what the issues are. They were like, you know, well, this is just a day. It's, we've grown up with it. It's a tradition. We've always done it. Um, what do people need to know about this day? Um, well, I guess the Melbourne Cup itself has, yeah, ingrained itself in our culture through very, you know, very, very crafted marketing, well-oiled marketing machine. And 
uh, it, it unfortunately, you know, I mean, we've got a public holiday for it. I mean, it's that it's that ingrained and supported by our government and and many people in the public. And it's kind of become this tradition, like you said, where people that don't even care about horse racing during the year suddenly want to go to the races because of the fashion and the booze and, um, you know, meeting people and this sort of glamorous facade that it tries to portray. Um, so we want people to, we want to really break through that marketing machine and we are breaking through that marketing machine and just, and exposing what underlies that so-called tradition and, and that, that, you know, day of celebration of horses. And what really underlies it is an industry that is built on absolute cruelty, oppression and suffering of these horses. And it, because it's the, that one day of the year that is so, um, celebrated in our culture, it's a really important time for us to be able to break through that because the spotlight is on it so much. So we really like to highlight a few key areas that shock people um, the most because, and that probably because they are the, the most horrid parts of the industry and the most well hidden and that is wastage for a start. So that is the, the killing or the discarding of horses from the industry once they are no longer profitable or even those ones that people forget were never profitable in the first place. So the industry actually has, our studies show about 45% of the foals that are born specifically into this industry don't even make it to the track because they don't have the desired attributes um, that they're looking for for a winning horse. So there's that right from the get-go, there's already that awful side of the industry that people don't know about it. Now, where all those foals go is the question, and you know our recent investigation has shown they go to the slaughterhouse or to the knackery. That's one thing that horrifies people, and obviously attached to that is the mares and the stallions that are used to breed these foals. Once those mares stop being able to breed or those stallions become unviable, where do they go? I mean, they need to go somewhere too, and there's a lucky few that do get rehomed, but the majority do go to get killed. Now they go to either a slaughterhouse where they get turned into, uh, cut up into pieces for flesh to be sent to overseas, or they'll go to knackeries where they'll be killed for pet food in this country. So there's that. So that's a huge, horrific side of the industry, which has recently been exposed very well by 7.30 on the ABC. The second huge issue that we've really exposed through our campaigning is the deaths on track. So we have a thing called the death watch report. So people don't realise that at least one horse is killed on Australian racetracks every three days. And when you highlight that, that's quite horrifying for people because they see it as horses love to run. You put them on a track, you put a jockey on their back, off they go, and then everyone's happy at the end and someone gets some money. What's really going on there is they're being pushed so far beyond their limits because there's so much money involved and the people are literally, they're in, only in this industry for making money. They're not, they enjoy it as well, of course, but their motivation is to make money. So of course they're going to push those animals as hard as possible to get that money, to have that winning horse, to win the Melbourne Cup, things like that. So that's why we've seen, you know, six horses killed in the last six years on Cup Day at Flemington. And we've seen horses constantly every year die on average one every three days from heart attacks on track, just literally dropping dead on the track of a heart attack. It's horrific to see. And from injuries uh, and internal bleeding, those injuries for horses can't be healed easily. So the outcome is most of the time euthanasia. Now, if you've got a horse that has an injury that can be healed, that's time and money. And when you're looking at a living being that is seen as an object for profit, 
they're not going to want to spend more time and money than they're making from that individual. So the temptation is to, oh, well, we're going to have to spend years rehabilitating this horse and caring for this horse in the process. What's the return I'm going to get on doing that? Do the math. They're not going to invest that money if they're not going to get the return because that's all the horse exists for. So that's another real issue. So deaths on track or death watch and then wastage are two really big issues that we like to educate people on. Um, so that they stop supporting this industry. Then there's also the objects of oppression and domination that are used to um, harm and terrify these animals and make them dependent on humans. So, you know, you've got things like bits, spurs, whips, tongue ties, all are completely legal uh, instruments that harm and put fear into and control and dominate um, these animals. Obviously, blinkers play that role as well. So that makes the horse dependent on the jockey on their back and so therefore more compliant. So there's, there's um, you know, all of these things being used and sort of just being looked as normal, normal sort of objects and people, because it's ingrained in our culture that this is what horse racing is, people don't see these objects for what they really are. Um, so we're, we're lacking to educate on that. And then of course there's jiggers which are illegal. So electric shock devices are legal to use on horses but are being used anyway as we've seen. And from people calling us, they say they're common practice. Um, it's just that Darren Weir happened to get caught. Um, but this is really widespread, this kind of um, behaviour in the industry. So that's another issue we really like to highlight as well. And then you've also got 90% have shown to bleed from the lungs when forced to when racing because they're pushed so hard. And um, often that results in them bleeding in the windpipe and bleeding, you know, that's why you'll occasionally see horses, well, not, not occasionally enough, unfortunately, quite commonly see horses um, bleeding from the nostrils. You see it in stewards reports all the time. So they're the kind of more obvious cruel, well, more obvious once you see them, cruel sort of mm -hmm. traits of the industry that people don't think about until you highlight them and they start to think about them. And then they think, how is this justified that we're putting these beautiful beings through this suffering so that I can go and have a flutter at the track and wear a dress and a suit and, uh, you know, have a glass of champagne and have a party with my friends and I'm not even looking at the horses but this is the outcome they're getting, you know, and that's that's basically the spring carnival. <laughs> it's pretty horrific. It's really hard to, to, to hear all that because when you add it all together, it's, 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 it's a ghastly picture that forms. I think the reason people do go to the races is they have no idea about this. I mean, there's a, there is quite a lot of myths and misinformation um, regarding horse racing. And I think one of the most prevalent ones is that horses enjoy racing or being pushed to these uh, kinds of limits, mm. um, which is a hard one to argue because horses can't speak for themselves. So how do we know um, if they do or do not? What, what you know? Because some people literally say, no, horses love it. And others say, no, that, you know, they don't. Like you can, there's footage clearly of horses that are being forced into the uh, the starting pen in order to get them to race. Um, mm. But how do, how do we know? Is there some sort of research about this that, you know, we can share with people or is it just common sense? I mean, it's partly common sense once you actually, you know, give it some extra thought. I think, I think if you've just grown up looking at horses on a track on your TV screen and on your radio, kind of hearing this kind of commentator, you, yeah, you do think, oh, they must love it. Why would they do it otherwise? They've got fun names and colourful Yeah, <laughs> like they care. Um, people will say, oh, a horse, yeah, you know, you can't make a 500-kilo horse do what it doesn't want to do, what they don't want to do. But they forget that these horses' spirits have been broken from a really young age and they're forced to be compliant. That's the That's why they call it breaking the, breaking the horse. You're breaking their spirit 
so that they become an empty version of themselves and they are compliant to the people that are exploiting them. So if you think about a horse loves to run, I think people compare running and racing. A horse loves to run when a horse feels like mm. running. A horse loves to play when they feel like playing. A horse loves to roll when they feel like rolling. If you give a horse, if you if you see a liberated horse whose spirit isn't completely broken, they'll behave in these beautiful ways that are natural to them in their their groups um, and interacting with humans as well in, in those cases too where they have really good humans around them. When you put a horse on a track, they're being told when to run, how fast and where you know, in a circle. A horse won't do that naturally. They have to be broken and trained. And on top of that, they of course have to have all these instruments, which I spoke about before, to dominate and control, to force them to do that. And they have to have a, a human on their back, forcing them to go and sort of, you know, you know, use the whip and sometimes imitating the jigger if the trainer is also using jiggers mm. illegally. So that's not a horse choosing to run. That's a horse being forced. And occasionally you will see horses refuse. You know, we saw Chautauqua last year was just amazing he just refused to race and would not leave the barrier and, and everyone fell in love with this horse because the spirit was still there and um they use that as well, an example and right. say well like oh, well chautauqua see when they don't want to they'll show you but they forget that it's like humans as well some humans don't when they're broken some humans fight back some people give in you know and horses are exactly the same mm. in my view they, some will go, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, I don't want to do this. And others will go, I'm terrified. If I don't do this, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I think it's hard to see that until you, until you really start thinking about it and watching the behaviour behind the scenes. You'll see them, like you said, they have to be forced into those into those uh, barriers before they're, they're let out. And if they really want to do that, you know, study of do horses like to love to race, you just need to go and look at wild horses and see how they behave. You know, um, they're not racing each other. <laughs> yeah. No, well, as you said, I think the key is there's a difference between running and racing. Mm. Um, we put ourselves through pretty strenuous um, activity as well. But it's, you know, and somebody pointed out that exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhage, which is the sort of the clinical term for bleeding in the lungs that horses experience, is also found in humans. But obviously humans make a choice. Uh, they have um, mm. uh, agency in whether they want to subject themselves to extreme sporting activities and push themselves. Um, and if they're injured, mm. they certainly don't get euthanized on the track. So, you know, it's kind of mm. a, it's a different thing. Um, there's a lot of subtlety that seems to go out the window in this debate. Um, forgetting mm. that, that that horses, not just horses, but all animals that are raced are placed under an extreme pressure that they haven't really signed up for. It's kind of, that's just what they've been bred mm. for. And that kind of brings me back to the point that I wanted to, taking us back to how you started, with, with this, which was the breeding uh, industry. It feels like the key of the problem here is that too many horses are bred. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, what's the number at the moment that every every year just in Australia something like 14,000 racehorses are bred and there is nowhere near enough demand for that many racehorses or um, places to house them. So there is mm. um, inbuilt into this industry is um, this kind of excess that needs to then be disposed of, which then led to the to the horrible scenes that we saw in the 730 report. Is that Where does breeding fit into all this and what is being done to try and address this oversupply? Well, that's the thing, nothing's being done. And even after this, uh, we're seeing, even after the 7.30, we're seeing nothing is still being done. Um, there is just no, you know, no effort to 
address this issue. I think Racing Victoria may have mentioned they want to look at it, but it's basically a mentality of breed, use, discard, and uh, no consideration of where those individuals are going to end up. So there's this real mentality of, yeah, just breed as many as we like without considering the fact that there is absolutely nowhere for them to go. And you've got people who do their best. You've got sanctuaries that have all these horses that they're trying to save. You've got people putting their hands in their own pockets constantly, you know, missing out on things for themselves and for their own human families to save these beautiful horses from the sale yards and pulling out all stops to outbid these kill buyers um, when they really can't afford it, but they just can't bear to see them be killed like this. And then you've got this industry that's got billions of dollars who doesn't care. Mm. Uh, it's just such a, an imbalance and such a disrespect. It's a huge industry. The turnover I was reading was something like close to $3 billion in wagering turnover. We're talking a lot of money. It's a, it's mm. a billion dollar industry. You would think that in order to preserve that kind of wealth and income, the industry would mm. uh, clean up its act and go, well, look, if the public withdraws its social license and no one comes to the races anymore, mm. we lose that those billions. It's in our interest to actually look after these um, these creatures and and treat them in, in in a way that is so is acceptable. You know, but is there a way of is there a way of reforming the racing industry in such a way that it is humane, um, or is it that there should be no racing? Can this be done ethically and morally, or can it? Can it just not be done at all? I think from the start, the coalition has taken a position that this is a really big industry. We're not going to stop it, at least at, in the near future. So let's look at ways that we can improve yeah. this industry for those horses. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and make improvements like retirement plans uh, and, you know, cutting back on breeding numbers and banning the whip and addressing injuries on track and trying to find ways to reduce those numbers. But um, I think over the years, through all the learning the attitude of the industry and been trying to meet with them and, and get them to address these issues and researching and investigating and talking to all people who were involved in the industry and what really goes on and the mentality and the attitude, the coalition has really come to a point now where we are adamant that this industry, from what we've seen, what we've learnt, can never be made humane and fair and kind for those horses. It's impossible when an animal is viewed as an object for profit making that their well-being will be put first. As soon as an animal is viewed as an object, they're going to be treated as an object. And when you bring a life into the world solely to make money for you, when your reason for being here is failing, you are suddenly worthless. I mean, it's it's kind of common sense when you think about that that's going to be the outcome. Mm. So, but then, you know, we can go beyond that and we can think that using animals for entertainment in itself, whether where there weren't these cruel in instruments and people still respected them and loved them. I mean, and some people in the industry do. I don't, I think in their own way they do, some people, you know. Um, I just can't see the industry ever getting to a point where just the concept of using animals to, to do something against their will in itself, that in itself is just something that can never be fixed. Well, I mean, you know, look, you never know, um, but these things do take time. If you think back in the in the 19th century in Britain, there used to be, you know, uh, cockfights and dogfights and people would bet on mm. animals ripping each other to, to bits in public. And that was um, that was all banned. It, although admittedly, one of the reasons that they banned them was that, um, they, you know, they, they discouraged it because this often happened on the weekend and they wanted people to go to church. And there was a lot of evangelical kind of groups that were the first animal rights groups, but mainly because they didn't want the Lord's Day to be 
be desecrated with such activities. So, you know, um, that doesn't happen anymore, thankfully. Um, and so, mm. you know, it, it is entirely possible that uh, at some stage society just realizes this is just an, uh, something that's got to go. It's time's up. But until then, totally. um, I think what you said is, 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 is exactly the point, is to introduce well, laws and, and, and practices that are enforced by the industry, such as abolishing whips and, mm. and that there is a retirement plan. Mm. I think I saw on, on, on your website you've proposed a tax, a 1% tax on all wagering, which would raise hundreds mm. of millions of dollars, which could be used then to mm. provide for um, those horses that are either retired or not deemed uh, race fit. Um, so there are solutions to make it a lot yes. more humane. And it's just... So I just um, wanted to say absolutely... Um, wanting to have slaughter bans, those horses need to be cared for clearly. Whips need to be banned, all these things. But it's really important when we're talking about these sort of things the industry can do to, you know, improve things at least, that we remind people that it doesn't make its kind then. It doesn't mean once we ban the whip that, you know, it's okay, you should start supporting horse racing again or once we get a retirement plan, it's okay. Sure. Because the last thing we want to do is make everyone think, oh, it's okay, everything's been fixed. They've banned the wheat poor. They've put in a retirement plan. Yeah, fair enough. Good point. On the bright side, each year, if I understand correctly, fewer and fewer people are going to the Melbourne Cup. So things are moving in the right direction in terms of the cultural attitudes towards this practice. Um, and on that note, I thought perhaps you could we could just close off on telling us what people can do if they don't want to, you know, it's still going to be a public holiday. Um, how can they celebrate without causing and supporting cruelty to racehorses. There's so much that we can be doing um, on Cup Day. So we really want to make Cup Day a party for the animals. So not even obviously be Cup Day, but the first Tuesday of November to make it a party for the animals. And that like really have that shift. So Nup to the Cup has been growing every year quite extraordinarily, actually, especially the last um, three to four years we've really seen like last year it trended all day on Twitter um, we, we have people submit their own up to the cut parties to us and that grows every year as well so so and not just fundraisers at animal sanctuaries and things like that like you're seeing you know cafes saying we'll give you a dollar of every coffee we sell just so we can do something you know on a day and and show our customers that we oppose horse racing and and um, corporates are also feeling really uncomfortable about running the office sweep now and they're contacting us saying what can we offer our staff instead of an office sweep um, to, to make sure that, um, you know, we're not engaging in unethical practices at the workplace and making staff feel uncomfortable because there is a social pressure, of course, to engage in these things. So if, if, if uh, corporates can make their staff feel a lot better and and give them an alternative, then they're showing that they're a progressive company who's living up to their corporate social responsibilities. Um, but yeah, we, we've got our own nut to the cup called Fashions on the Field, and that happens at Flemington each year just down the road at the Newmarket Reserve. And we have human races, um, which is obviously a, a lot um, fairer. Everyone that it's joining those races is joining by choice. No one's forced. Um, we have, I mean, people have wild dress ups and People can dress up as though they're going to the races or they can go, you know, really wild and extravagant and put on some amazing outfits, which people are doing. And then we have a vegan barbecue. So we're showing that we're not engaging in any kind of, kind of cruelty, even to other animals, so-called farmed animals. Um, 
And yeah, we're just setting an example for the race goers as they go past that look, we're here having a great time and we don't need to harm others to do so. And they're all, you're welcome to join us. You know, we want it, we want this movement to grow. We don't want to, we don't want to attack the people that are going to the races. We want to make them realize what it is they're supporting so that they stop doing it. I mean, I've been to the races many, many years ago now, but um, I went, I just didn't know. And it was, I was 18 years old. That's what my friends did. So I went along. I mean, I actually didn't enjoy it at all and I never went back, but, um, and I think that happens a lot with people too. But, um, you know, as a, uh, we, a lot of people that are walking in those gates just have no idea. So we just want to show them the truth and offer them an alternative and, and make a cultural shift. Um, and I think that's really happening and it's really exciting, especially we're seeing these stars dropping out now, partly probably because of the ethical issues, but partly because they don't want to be associated from, from their image perspective. Um, so, yeah, Nup to the Cup is, is the way Taylor, to go. This is Taylor Swift who was going to perform. Yes, and Megan Gale we found out dropped out today um, as well. Okay. Um, the culture is shifting and it's, yeah, it's never fast enough, but it, it is happening. And, um, yeah, we need to keep that momentum and just um, keep educating and, and changing and making it unacceptable to support animal abuse. Absolutely. It definitely feels like the tide is is turning um, and we're definitely seeing that and a lot mm. of that is thanks to the work that that your crew has been doing the coalition for the protection of racehorses and it's fantastic to have seen it making it onto the abc and that certainly has had a huge impact i know that's what really motivated us to make a video about it because we thought this is it like the the time's up for this um for this tradition it's had its course mm. so thank you for all the work that you're doing and i'll just just repeat um so the the nup for the cup event or fashions yeah, so on the field our, fa our facebook page is uh, coalition for the protection of racehorses or our website is horseracingkills.com and both of those have all of our events listed within the that medium so yeah just go along there's heaps of details if anyone wants to ask any questions they can email us at inquiries at horseracingkills.com uh, and uh, we're always happy to get more. There's volunteer application forms on our website too if people want to help us out. Uh, and we're always looking for, you know, skilled and passionate people to, to get on board and help us be as effective as we can for those individuals who are really suffering. So I'm going to put the link to um, the website that you mentioned, horseracingkills.com, in the show notes for anyone who wants to check it out. And if you go to that link, um, you'll see uh, in the menu there's Take Action, and that'll give you not just the the up to the cup events which um kristen just mentioned but also other things that people can do there's an outreach toolkit there's a link for volunteering there's a link for calling on sponsors to stop supporting animal abuse and melbourne cup because a lot of times people watch our video and they go well what can we do about it so that's what you can do about it go to horseracingkills.com and click on take action and uh and do what you can but at the very least don't go to the fucking melbourne cup uh, if at all possible exactly. um, and don't bet on the races so thanks very much Kristen. Uh, thanks for joining us um and yeah um all power to you and thanks for all the work that you're doing thank you so much giordano great work on that video well that's it for this episode thanks for tuning into the juice media podcast with me giordano We'll catch you soon for our next Honest Government ad. And until then, just a reminder that we rely on our patrons and our supporters to keep us going. So if you value the work that we do and can afford to do so, check out our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thejuicemedia or head to thejuicemedia.com and click on support for other options. A huge thanks to all the patrons who might be listening. Thank you so much for keeping us going and keeping us strong. Take care and we'll catch you soon for more genuine satire.